Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. My name is Greg Anderson, and I'm out in the great outdoors today using portable recording equipment to enjoy the sounds of nature as I talk about how movies are made. Actually, what I wanted to talk about first was a little something about acting. Now, I don't know how many of you are aspiring actors, or maybe you've even done some acting. Um, let's talk about acting, because acting can be very technical, uh, especially screen acting. And when I talk about screen acting, I'm referring to acting for uh, movies and, and film uh, and television, you know. So, uh, but, uh, you know, then there's acting for the stage there's acting for radio, radio dramas. You know, you don't hear uh, that as much as uh, used to happen in, in years past, but there's still radio drama out there. And then there's acting, voice acting for, uh, you know, like animated cartoons and stuff. And there's a different uh, approach to any of those mediums, you know. So if you're going to be an actor for whatever medium, you, you might have to adapt just a little bit. And it's interesting to me that I, as I've observed how different people approach these things, every now and then you find someone that kind of doesn't have the right approach for the medium. And it's an easy example I'll give you from, uh, I don't know if you're a fan of the Simpsons TV show at all. But every now and then they'll get a guest actor on there uh, that doesn't quite get it as far as how to do voices for a cartoon like that. And um, a lot of times it's somebody who's playing the part of themselves on there. They'll get a celebrity and they'll, you know, they'll play the part of themselves on there. And it might be someone who's a very good film actor, who has a very good style and delivery style, very natural kind of style when you see the actor in, in, in films. But on The Simpsons or any kind of animated show like that, you really have to approach it, uh, you know, you have to kind of turn it up a notch as it were. <laughs> you have to be a little more animated. You have to be a little more, you know, over the top and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and it's funny when you see an actor who doesn't quite nail it. I'm thinking, uh, for example, uh, there was an episode years ago when Alec Baldwin was still married to Kim Basinger and uh, they were guests on The Simpsons playing the parts of themselves and Ron Howard was also on. And Ron Howard actually did a very good job of of being a little bit more of an animated, over-the-top version of himself. But it seemed to me like Alec Baldwin was a little more playing the role, and just again, this is just voice acting, uh, playing it in a very realistic manner. Uh, but it just didn't quite work. And it was interesting to see those two together uh, uh, on a show like that. But uh, anyway, so when it comes to um, screen acting... Uh, it can be very technical. Now, it can be very technical with stage acting as well. We normally don't think of it that way because with stage acting, you know, it's very, uh, you know, it's live and you get to play off the audience and uh, you know, a lot of actors prefer that because they like the energy of being there with a live audience. Um, but when you're, you're playing for the stage, you have to project and you have to make your voice heard, you know, throughout the theater. And uh, that could be difficult, uh, you know, depending on the kind of theater you're in. If it's just community theater, you know, it just might be a big room and, and you have to project and make your voice loud enough 
that without any kind of amplification, some guy in the back row can hear you. Now, with some of the bigger venues, they will have microphones maybe planted on uh, the actor, you know, a wireless, a wireless microphone that they might have clipped to their clothing or something like that. So they don't have to be quite as loud. And then there'll be a, you know, a public address kind of system in the in the theater so that people uh, can hear better throughout the theater. But, uh, you know, it can be a little bit... Uh, it's a whole different challenge for, for a stage actor to be able to project the voice and yet still sound natural. Because it's not just about shouting. You don't want to just shout. And if you, you, you have to kind of know how to, how to do that. And I, I have to admit for myself, when I've tried to do stage acting, uh, my voice doesn't carry very well. So it's always difficult for me to be heard well in the back back row you know <laughs> but you don't want to be shouting you don't want to be uh you know you're standing right next to someone on stage and you're saying hi how are you this morning you know because then that doesn't sound right so you have to it's it's a it's an art you know making your voice loud without sounding like you're shouting now when it comes to screen acting and i know more about screen acting than the other kinds of acting uh, not necessarily because I've done it more, but because I've observed it more. And uh, I've, I've worked with some really great actors uh, working on the TV shows and, and movies that I've worked on uh, here in the Utah area over the last several years. One actor in particular that I found very impressive was a gentleman by the name of Richard Thomas. Now, Richard Thomas was uh, well known as John Boy Walton on the Waltons TV show. And then he was in a lot of made-for-TV movies o- over the years. And, uh, well, he came and worked with us on a Promised Land episode. Actually, it was a crossover episode. So part one was a Touched by an Angel episode, whereas part two was a Promised Land episode. And they were each the season premiere episodes for their respective uh, series. So, um, and just to give you an idea, you know, this is... This is Richard Thomas. He he started acting uh, as a young man, you know, on the primarily on the Waltons. Like I don't know what he did before that, but you know, ever since then, just tons of experience, years of experience uh, as an actor, and he really understood the technical aspects of uh, of what's going on. You know, what are the concerns of everyone else on the crew when you're working on on a film crew? It's uh, I suppose it's easy for an actor to kind of get caught up in their own thing. <laughs> and and really not care about anyone else's concerns uh what's going on with the film crew and, and you know maybe that's what happened to Christian Bale uh, in a well publicized incident that happened uh in the summer of 2008 when he was working on a, a Terminator movie and he he you know he had a little rant there that became quite publicized but uh if you're a screen actor you have to understand that the lighting crew has some concerns, things they're wanting to accomplish. The, uh, you know, the wardrobe and the makeup crew, and they all have their own little concerns. And usually it's a, it's a harmonious situation, and, and one department's concerns don't have to trample on the concerns of another department. And the actors can play a key role in making sure that things stay harmonious on the set. So, for example, one department that doesn't get a lot of respect uh, I respect them, but, you know, it's the sound department. And the sound department, you know, it's just it's something that a lot of people don't uh, understand very clearly. What are the concerns of the sound man and his uh, boom operator? And usually those are the, you know, the two 
main guys in the sound department. They might have a third guy, but usually it's a very small department. And one thing that the sound uh, guy is always concerned with is, uh, you know, they want the cleanest recording of the dialogue, and they're really not concerned about getting other sound effects recorded right there on set. Those are things that are usually left to the post-production guys. You know, the guys, when, when, when the movie or the TV show is in the editing process, it's up to the post-production sound guy to add in every little background noise, um, props noise, these sorts of things. Um, granted, if it's an easy thing to catch, then the sound guy on set will try to catch those sorts of sounds. But, you know, again, the main objective is to record the dialogue as well as possible. Uh, clean dialogue recordings without a lot of other sound effects uh, mixed in there. Because once you've recorded the, the dialogue with other sounds mixed in, you know, you can't really take those sounds out. Um, but you could always add those sounds later if you don't have them and, and mix them and get them just to the right level that you want and have a really, you know, nice balance between your dialogue and your sound effects. So, all right. So, so I'll give you an example of where an actor can really help the sound department. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to act out a little piece of dialogue here that uh, is going to sound like something you might find on a, on a promised land uh, episode. Okay. So let's just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk into a room. I'm going to... Here, okay, here's the scene. I'm going to knock on a door like that. Uh, I'm going to walk in the room. I'm going to talk to someone. I'm going to close the door behind me when I go in. Now, here's the way you might do it if you had no concern for what the sound department uh, wants. So you'd be like, hey, Greg, can I come in? Greg, Here. Listen, I, uh, I just uh, wondered uh, how you're doing in here because I noticed that I haven't heard from you all day long and I just thought that, you know, if you're having trouble, man, we can talk. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. Okay. So I'm saying that's the wrong way to do it because did you notice that I was making noises while I was talking? All right. Now let's try that same scene again. <laughs> I'm not going to win any awards for my, for my performance here, but... Uh, Okay, let's just try this again. So here's, here's a better way to do it if you're a, a skilled screen actor with a good sense of what the sound department is up against. So you'd be like, Greg? Hey, buddy. Now come in. Listen, uh, I, ha I happen to notice I haven't heard from you all day. And, well, I just thought that, you know, if, there, if you've got a problem, man, we can talk. I'm, I'm here for you, all right? Ta-da! There's the scene. Okay, so did you notice what I did there? I, the, the sound of the door opening, the sound of myself knocking, I just put in some really subtle pauses in my speaking as those different noises were made. And I did it in a way that wasn't particularly awkward. The timing of what I was saying still sounded natural, but I gave the opportunity for the editor or anyone working with the sound to go ahead and separate my dialogue from the, the, uh, the other noises I was making with the door. See, it was an easy thing to do, but uh, something that if you're not a very skilled screen actor, you might not even consider um, making that adjustment. 
And so this is one of the things that I was able to observe uh, working on the Promised Land show, that sometimes we work with actors that had more experience and sometimes actors who didn't have as much experience. And so sometimes if it was an actor that wasn't particularly experienced, they might make uh, what, what I would consider a mistake by uh, making noise while they're talking and noises that didn't really lend themselves well to the scene. And occasionally you would have to get uh, either the sound man himself or perhaps even the director to just uh, remind the actor that, hey, you know, could you just, you know, make sure you don't slam the door while you're talking? That would, that would really help us out if you could do that. And I had seen, again, directors and, and, and or the sound guy having to ask an actor to make that adjustment. Sometimes it was awkward, and sometimes the actor would be like, what? What's the matter? You know, like, they didn't understand. <laughs> but when we worked with Richard Thomas, he was just spot on. He knew exactly what he was doing. He didn't have to be reminded of these technical concerns, and he was so smooth about it. It's just it, it, everything he did, I could just tell he was he was a real pro, and not just in the performance because I think he 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 gave a, a, an exceptional performance. You know the emotional delivery, all, all these things that he was doing as an actor, but also right there the technical stuff. He understood what was happening with the lighting. He understood what the camera was uh, was pointed at and, and how the framing was going on. He understood the sound concerns. And he was just smooth and, and seamless in the way he was able to uh, navigate through all these concerns. And just he was a joy to work with. Just, just I could tell that every department was just, um, you know, couldn't have had a, a, a nicer situation than working with Richard Thomas. And so suddenly I understood why (laughs) over all those years I kept seeing Richard Thomas in these different made-for-TV movies and, you know, it just seemed like every few months there there he is again on some show. And I thought, well, I know why. It's because everybody who works with him has a tremendous experience and just loves working with him. And then word gets around... (laughs) And then everyone wants to work with him. And so we were privileged to work with Richard Thomas uh, late in the summer of 1997. And again, it was the, uh, the season premiere of Touched by an Angel, then becoming a crossover episode because part two, just a few nights later, uh, was the season premiere of Promised Land. So Sunday night, Touched by an Angel, then Thursday night, uh, Promised Land. Now, the the episode itself is a little contrived, and I have to say I wasn't necessarily fully pleased with, uh, with the story we had there, because it was one of these kind of depressing stories. It was kind of a disturbing story. Uh, we had established the fact that Russell Green, well, and his brother, Joe, both of them are um, Vietnam veterans. Joe Green, the younger brother, however came home from Vietnam and his head was all messed up, right? And he's been messed up for a long, long time. So, you know, at least at least 20 years. Well, you know, it's, this is 1997, so, you know, maybe 25 years. I don't know exactly when I mean, we thought that uh, Joe Green uh, came back from the war. But he's been, he's been just a little not right in the head 
a little traumatized by his war experience or, or something like that. And so uh, over the years, you know, he was just kind of a ne'er-do-well. But in the most recent years leading up to 1997, he was a drifter. He was a con man. He was just uh, so everything that uh, Russell Green doesn't like in a person. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he just had that one little out his excuse was that, you know, he, he needed treatment. He needed, you know, uh, mental health care. You know, he needed something. So, you know, you could excuse it a little bit. But Russell Green was still kind of, you know, thinking, you know, here's his, his brother that's so messed up and it makes him so mad and he wished Joe would just straighten out his act. And, you know, and also there's some drugs. You know, he's taking drugs and stuff like that. So that's... We had talked about Joe Green in the series for a whole season before we actually finally saw him. And this was the first time we saw who it was and Richard Thomas playing the role. Now, the episode starts out with the angels, uh, Tess, Monica, and the angel of death, Andrew, uh, standing around an ice cream stand eating ice cream. And this is one of those things that if you're a fan of Touch by an Angel, you might find this charming. If you're not very familiar with Touch by an Angel, you might find this kind of just weird. What are they doing? You know, the, the, the angels having their little banter. And, uh, the, it, you know, the scene goes on for a couple of minutes and they're just enjoying ice cream and talking about ice cream. And Monica's talking about how much she likes the uh, coffee-flavored ice creams. And uh, it's kind of weird. You know, what's, what does this have to do with anything? Uh, angels or, you know, any anything. But uh, it's almost like this little filler scene. And I guess, you know, maybe for... I suppose it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult balance. When you've got a TV series like Touched by an Angel and even like Promised Land, where you've got a core group of actors that are your regular cast, but every story really revolves around uh, the guest actor. There's going to be... You know, some story that, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to learn about this other person and their problems and find out how to help them with their problems. And so uh, that's, that's what it was like on, uh, well, there have been other series like that. You could even say Love Boat and uh, Fantasy Island were like that. You had your core group of actors, but the story invariably revolved around something the guest actor's character was doing. But you still had to have a little bit of a continuity about your core actors that are there every week. You had to, you had to have them do something that, uh, you know, endears them to the audience. And and so I guess with this Touch by an Angel opening scene of the angels standing around eating ice cream and talking about, uh, you know, coffee, <laughs> I suppose that's a little charming for the regular viewers of the show to see that these angels can, you know, have some little fun character moments outside of whatever the guest actor is doing. So, uh, well, anyway, so, so, but, but it's weird in, in that, uh, with this particular one, they're talking about the ice cream, they're talking about the coffee, and then all of a sudden they just, oh, well, here comes our assignment, and they just drop everything and go. So the, the scene is just completely unrelated to anything just this throwaway scene that they just needed to fill two minutes and they just came up with this scene. I don't know. All right, so it starts out, we see Joe Green, and Joe Green, he's kind of messed up, and he's driving this old Ford LTD, and uh, and he's impatient. There's a, 
there's a car in front of him and they won't get out of the way and he's just he's got a, a really really short fuse i mean this he's just i mean he's crazy <laughs> and so uh you know the car won't let him pass and he's like screaming at the guy and yelling and and uh and tries to pass the car again and he kind of sideswipes the other car and it turns into this little road rage incident but what happens is uh the other car uh gets gets a little you know out of control and slides off the road and rolls over and catches fire and so joe this is a wake-up call for joe green because he certainly didn't want to cause that he was just mad but he didn't want the guy to you know go off the road well well the other car was this station wagon and inside the car you had a father and his two sons and so uh, joe green runs down the hill and manages to pull one of the kids out of the car and uh, rescue him from the burning car. But then the car explodes, and the father and the other son are killed in the explosion. This is how the episode begins. This will give you nightmares, right? So, uh, yeah. So, Russell, uh, I mean, Joe Green, Joe Green, (laughs) who caused this accident, um, he gets hailed as a hero because he saved the boy from... uh, from the burning car and nobody knows except for joe green that he actually caused the accident by driving recklessly in this little road rage incident and so yeah so anyway he, he takes off and keeps going down the road and he passes a hitchhiker and it's andrew and so he gives andrew a ride to chicory creek and once they get right to chicory creek um uh the car breaks down so uh Andrew says, hey, uh, you know, if you need a place to stay here in Chickory Creek, I, I know somebody. And, and, and Joe says, no, no, that's fine. I'll just wait till the morning and, and get some help. So they part ways. And next thing you know, Joe Green sneaks over to Erasmus's house, finds an open window at the kitchen, comes in the house and, and sneaks into the house uh, in, in the middle of the night. And, uh, and starts raiding the refrigerator and he's like eating some cold, uh, you know, chicken uh, drumsticks right there standing next to the refrigerator the light turns on and there's russell green and he says oh no and russell he just can't believe it here he's looking at his long-lost brother joe green sneaking in in the middle of the night raiding erasmus's refrigerator uh joe kind of turns on the charm and says hey russell how's it going brother and russell walks over and decks him (laughs) and says welcome home and then we go to commercial break. So <laughs> I thought that was a particularly funny moment because uh, at the time, I don't know if they still do it today, but at the time, the, the catchphrase, the, the sort of the slogan, the motto for CBS television, the whole network was, CBS, welcome home. You know, and they had all these, these things that ha- they had uh, recorded with all the stars of the different CBS shows. Uh, so right at the beginning of a show, you know, they might say, CBS, welcome home. And then they, you know, go right into the, uh, the show. And so I just thought it was funny that here we had Russell Green (laughs) punches Joe Green in the face and says, welcome home. I thought they should use that for a little CBS promotional spot. That'd be funny. (laughs) Gerald McCraney, DECA guy, welcome home. This is CBS. Well, anyway. All right. So um, 
the story plays out and Joe Green eventually uh, confesses that he caused the accident so they shouldn't treat him as a hero. Uh, and then he takes off and uh, tries to look up his old girlfriend, or actually it's his, old, uh, his wife, his estranged wife. And, uh, but eventually he comes back to Chicory Creek to face up to what he's done. And, um, and even though there's not enough evidence to convict him and send him to jail, he does the right thing. And Joe Green confesses anyway. And he says, you know, I, I, I want to pay for what I did. And so they do send him to jail. It's a, it's a four year sentence, but, uh, you know, we'll reduce it to 18 months if you behave yourself. And so that's that's the story. And uh, meantime, you get to see your familiar, you know, Promised Land uh, characters that you love so much. The Green family, Erasmus, and of course the three angels from Touch by an Angel mixed in there. And so uh, I guess that's a satisfying, you know, season premiere episode for your favorite two shows. Um, now, as for when we when we uh, shot the episode, we you know we went around to some of our usual haunts. <laughs> we went to Springville for the uh, you know all the stuff around Erasmus's house. Uh, we went to the VA hospital in Salt Lake City for a lot of the hospital scenes. We had a lot of hospital scenes in there. Um, what else? Uh, East Canyon. Somewhere up in in that area called East Canyon, uh, I think that's where they did most of the the car, uh, you know, kind of the road rage incident and and all that stuff. I'm not I'm not sure about that because they get the car roll off the road and catch fire and and there's a reservoir up there. I think it's called the Little Dell Reservoir, which um, is is a protected uh, water source for like drinking water for Salt Lake City. So they don't even allow you can't even take a dog up into the hillsides up around that reservoir because they, they just don't want any contamination to run off into that uh, reservoir. So I'm not sure that they were, you know, it doesn't make sense that they would then stage a car crash with an explosion <laughs> where there might be some runoff of whatever they were using to stage that going into the reservoir. But I think I, most of that stuff was somewhere right around uh, what's called East Canyon. I think so. I don't know. I wasn't there. See, that was this was another uh, thing where the Touch by an Angel crew shot about half the episode, and the Promised Land crew shot the other half of the episode. So there was a scheduling uh, problem there, trying to make sure that you know the actors were with the right crew on the right days, and we didn't have conflicts, and you didn't have uh, you know a crew that had to that had nothing to do. Um, and then, but then you had actors shuttling back and forth between one crew and the next. And so it was a, it was kind of a headache, but they got it done. But because of the way that they scheduled it and what I was doing with the Promised Land crew, I actually wasn't around for any of the car crash stunt work. So I didn't, didn't see how they, exactly how they did that stuff. I also wasn't there the day that they had Faith Hill singing a song. Yeah, Faith Hill you know, the, the country music superstar. Uh, <laughs> she was in this episode. She played the part of Karen, I guess maybe it would be Karen Green, the estranged wife of Joe Green. And when you see her, it's, you know, it's about midway through the episode or maybe even a little past the halfway mark. Well, there, okay, there's an, there's an incident early in the episode where he calls her on the phone. Uh, Joe calls her on the phone and says, hey, I really want to see you. And she says, oh, you've made my life miserable. Please don't call me again. 
And so if that's all you see, just see her on the other side of a phone conversation. But then you get to see her singing a song in this in this nightclub. Well, it's it's more of a country uh, country western bar sort of a place. And and there is a place just off of uh, the I-15 uh, freeway running through uh, the south part of the Salt Lake Valley near 90th South. And I don't I don't know the name of the place. I, I wasn't there when they filmed this, but it's a country music you know, bar place with a stage. And so that's where they filmed the scene with Faith Hill actually singing a song. And this was a new song or, you know, relatively new song that they were sort of almost debuting on the Promised Land show. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, so they had her on there and then they just went down the street about another mile uh, down the road, down 90th South to the east. There was like a condo complex there and they, and they, films uh, a couple scenes that are supposed to take place in her at her place uh, her character's place Karen's place you know so so they did all that on a day where the only cast members they were using that were uh, you know had speaking roles on the day they filmed that were Richard Thomas and uh, the the young man uh, who played Nathaniel Green uh, Eddie Carr and then Faith Hill. So they needed stand-ins for those three. They didn't need me to work as a stand-in. And Gerald McRaney had the day off, so I didn't go. I didn't go see Faith Hill sing her song. Ugh. Poor me. You should pity me. Yes, you should. Because I was just so close and didn't have that opportunity. Um... other noteworthy places we used for the episode. Well, we we had, of course, the interior set for Erasmus's house, which was back at our regular soundstage. They also built uh, a jail set because um, they showed, you know, that uh, Joe Green spent the night in jail, and so they had, uh, you know, they they built that set um, on on uh, on our soundstage, and then we went to Ogden. Uh, about a year earlier, we did the expatriate episode and, uh, there was a scene in there that they filmed in downtown Ogden where Russell sees the sheriff of the town and they're right in front of the big courthouse, uh, place. And that, and that was the courthouse in Ogden. So here we were doing this, uh, this episode with, uh, with Richard Thomas and we were at that same courthouse. Uh, we were inside, so we used the courtroom that was in there. Now, at the time... They're, they had just built a new courthouse uh, just about a block away. So the building that we were using for filming was more or less abandoned, but they had an, an actual courtroom that we just used. So that was, that was convenient to go in there. And, you know, we didn't have to build a set because there's, there's an empty courtroom right there. Let's just use that one. Uh, you know, or whatever it cost them to uh, rent the place for a day. I don't know. Um, and that's, that's the day that I saw Faith Hill in person. Now, someone had told me that, yeah, there's this country music singer named Faith Hill that's going to be on the show. And I thought, uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> I had not heard of Faith Hill at that point. Now, this is the middle of uh, 1997. And she made it big uh, soon after that. I guess if you were a fan of country music, and I wasn't particularly into country music, but if you were into country music, you would have already known who Faith Hill was. 
I didn't know that. So it was about, you know, over the course of the next year or so that she, she started getting more mainstream and sort of crossover success in pop music. And then, of course, then I'm like, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of her, Faith Hill. Um, so so that, that was my experience. I didn't know who Faith Hill was, but they told me that there was this country music singer, Faith Hill, is going to be on the show. And I thought, yeah, whatever. Okay, fine. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I didn't have any particular reason to care about who Faith Hill was. Okay, so then I show up on the day that we're going to film the courtroom scene. And there's a lot of people there. You know, not just the regular crew, but you had every cast member uh, that was there. You also had a lot of extras that were there. And I showed up in the morning. One of the first things I did was go to the wardrobe trailer to find out what color shirt I should wear so that I could be a good match for what Gerald McCraney was wearing that day. All right, so, because, you, you know, you want to do that as a stand-in. Okay, so, I, uh, I show up to the wardrobe trailer, and there's a woman kind of standing at the, at the base of the steps going up to the wardrobe trailer, and she's just there because she wants to ask a question. And I, and I look at this woman, and I'm like, wow, she's really pretty. I, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to her. Ah, uh, yeah, maybe like around lunchtime. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to her, and I didn't know who it was. I thought it was just this woman working as an extra that I had never seen before. But I thought, well, she's really pretty. She, you know, I, I want to find out more about her, right? So, uh, but then I had, you know, I went, I went and started doing my job, and I didn't see her again until a couple of hours later. I saw her again inside the courtroom. I'm like, hey, there's that woman that I'm going to talk to. And I see her, and I see a bunch of local cops from Ogden uh, asking for her autograph. <laughs> and, I, and that, I just instantly realized that, oh, that's that country music singer they were talking about. That's Faith Hill. Okay, so... Maybe I won't ask her for a date. Okay, all right. So, yeah, so, you know, it didn't take long before, you know, I found out she was married anyway. And so I did not uh, totally embarrass myself uh, by going up and talking to Faith Hill as if she was just, you know, some local woman extra thing. You know, no big deal. I'm going to go, you know, schmooze with this hot babe or something. I didn't have that experience because I noticed that she was a star before... I did that. So I, so what had happened was basically it meant I never talked to her at all. I just knew that, all right, she's famous, she's married, forget about it. I'm not even going to talk to her. But, but I will say, Faith Hill is absolutely gorgeous. Now, I know it's been 12 years since I saw her in person, but I'm going to bet that she's still absolutely gorgeous. The kind that, you know, kind of almost makes you stop and go, you know, just take your breath away for just a second. So, so that's kind of fun. And, and, and the funny thing is, she started to get really, really popular after that. And so it was a year or two later, she was a guest on uh, The Late Show with David Letterman. So, you know, I, I watched the show and she sang a song and then she went over and sat in the chair next to David Letterman's desk, and they talked for just a minute. And Letterman was looking at her and just kind of didn't know what to say. <laughs> and just said something like, wow, you're really cute. 
and she was just kind of blushing. Oh, thank you very much. And he and he almost I think he repeated it too. He's like, wow, you're just gorgeous. And I thought, you know, I've 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 had that experience. Now I didn't have a, a specific reason to talk to her about it, but I I know what you mean, Dave. I know I know exactly what you mean because I will say that. Uh, I saw photographs of Faith Hill, you know, on album covers and just whatever on TV Guide or wherever, you know, you'd see photographs of an up-and-coming music star like that. I didn't think she looked as good in the photographs as she did in real life. So, so I'm just saying. All right. So that's my story of Faith Hill, lovely woman, uh, whom I didn't meet <laughs> because I... I chickened out. What am I going to do? Okay. Uh, one other story. And I don't know, this is kind of a long episode, but, I, you know, it was a two-part episode that I'm talking about that we were working on. So here's my other story from that. Now, in about this time, we were starting to hear that there was a salary dispute between uh, Della Reese and CBS. And uh, the reason was that Roma Downey had received a, a significant raise in her pay working on uh, Touched by an Angel. And Della Reese did not. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of Screen Actors Guild uh, policies and, and all these things, but someone tried to explain to me that uh, they were officially co-stars on the show. And as such, I believe that meant that they were supposed to be paid the same to work on the show. And so it became somewhat publicized. And I remember Della Reese was on like Entertainment Tonight talking about this, that, you know, she was not getting it paid as much as Roma Downey. And she was uh, having a little dispute with the network about it. And I don't know how ugly it actually got. And I wasn't working on Touched by an Angel, so I, I don't know. I mean, there were a couple of episodes of Touched by an Angel about that time where uh, Jella Reese was not in the episode at all. <laughs> so I don't know if that was a result of, you know, some salary dispute. They had, like, Paul Winfield come in and play the part of the Angel supervisor for that episode. And, you know, and they made some passing reference to the fact that Tess was on another assignment. Um, but what happened was, and I normally wouldn't have known about this, but, um, I found out because of some of the reports about this dispute, now, not, not from actually talking to people on set or, you know, talking to like Roma Downey about it or something like that, but just from reading about it in the paper, I found out that, uh, Della Reese and Roma Downey were making like $10,000 a day to work on Touched by an Angel, and that Roma had received a significant raise, like maybe $15,000 a day, you know, to work on on the episode or something like that. So um, this, was, this was the dispute. So what I learned from this was that Della Reese was paid $10,000 a day to work on the show. And, you know, say what you want about whether or not they deserve this kind of money or, you know, whatever that is. But I just, okay, let's just accept the fact that that's maybe the kind of money that actors make. Um, and at the time we found out the cast of Friends, you know, those guys were starting to make each one of them, each one of these six cast members on the show Friends were making like a million dollars 
per episode, which is like a week's work, right? <laughs> to make a sitcom one episode. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, Della Reese making $10,000 a day, uh, you know, not so impressive when you know someone else is making a million dollars a week working in television. But, you know, that's just, it's just these are numbers that we, you and I, can hardly comprehend, right? Um, the reason this is such a significant thing to to mention when I'm talking about working on this particular episode was that there was a scene in the show where uh, Joe Green has has taken off. He's run away. He's trying to get away from Russell and his family. But Nathaniel Green, his son, has sort of become a stowaway in the back seat of the car. And so, you know, he drives all night. He wakes up and finds out Nathaniel's there. What are you doing here, Nathaniel? And so uh, the two of them decide, well, they have to go back to where Russell and the, and the rest of them are. And at one point during this exchange, they get back in the car. Joe Green looks up in the rearview mirror of this LTD that he's driving. And he sees Della Reese playing the part of the angel Tess sitting in the back seat of the car. He sees her face in his rearview mirror, and he, and he kind of freaks out. And he turns around and looks behind him with his, you know, without looking in the mirror. And, um, and she's not there. You know, which is one of those little angel tricks that you would see sometimes untouched by an angel. So, Della Reese, she came to work that day, you know, went to the makeup and wardrobe and did all that, got ready, came out to set, was in one shot, <laughs> just just sitting in the back seat of the car so they could point the camera in that rearview mirror and see her reflection in the rearview mirror. That was her one shot she did all day, and then she was done. She went home. And I realized that she was paid $10,000 to do that. Which, you know, as far as I'm concerned, more power to you. You know, nice work if you can get it. Congratulations. I, I have no ill will towards someone just because they get paid a lot to do what they do. That's fine. Obviously, and I'm a capitalist here, I'm going to say, you know, it's, it's worth it to someone to pay her $10,000 to do that. And that's fine. I, I don't begrudge her that. But I just think that's cool, you know. So it's worth mentioning that hey, that's cool. And if you can do that, if you can get paid $10,000 just to show up and be in one shot and go home, more power to you. You know, in fact, <laughs> send me an email. Let's be friends. <laughs> I want to hang out with you. Uh, you know, maybe, and maybe I'll get on that kind of payroll sometime myself. That'd be fun. All right. But, uh, you know, uh, and just to follow up on that story, I don't know what exactly happened between Della Reese and uh, CBS, but they worked it out. And she got whatever raise uh, was satisfactory to her, and she stayed untouched by an angel for, you know, what, like four or five more seasons after that. So I'm sure things were just fine. And, uh, yeah, and she's, she's doing all right financially in her retirement years, and, um, and, you know, more power to her. More power to all those people working on that show. Uh, okay. All right, so that's enough for now. Uh, let's uh, we'll, we'll forge ahead, and I'll tell you more stories on another episode 
of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. Once again, my name is Greg Anderson, and remember, all of the things you hear on the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast are contingent upon the accuracy of my own memory. So, take that for what it's worth, and, uh, you know, have fun with all the entertainment value that, uh, that we share with one another. Uh, if you want to send me any feedback, any friendly notes, or, you know, tell me what, what you get paid every day to go to work, uh, just <laughs> use my email address. It's uh, moviestandin at gmail.com. That's moviestandin at gmail.com. And the official show notes for this podcast are located at utahstandin.blogspot.com. Once again, thanks for joining me. And, uh, you know, not I, I try to put out a new episode of this podcast every week, but I don't always make it. But if I do, you can look for it. Thursday evenings, I try to get it in by 8, 7 central time in honor of Promised Land, which aired on Thursday nights at 8, 7 central time for the bulk of its run. And so I hope you'll join me once again next time for a new episode of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. <laughs>